Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. podcast from the canon an espionation blog about your columbus blue jackets i'm your host pd and on this valentine's day evening that i'm recording this i am all alone sadly even my faithful terror has chosen to cuddle on the other end of the couch for me but i'm not totally alone because i reached out on twitter and the canon community responded with a veritable plethora of questions for me to answer today so we are back with the mailbag episode i got a lot of stuff to get into. So we will start with a holiday-specific question from our own Burkus Circus. Should Singles Awareness Day be the 13th, 14th, or 15th? Well, for those of us who are fans of Parks and Recreation, we know that the 13th is reserved for Galentine's Day, which I think is actually a great invention. Uh, that show created that. It also created Treat Yourself Day, which is also very important. But I like the idea of celebrating your platonic relationships you know that's a nice change of pace from what valentine's day is usually about so that's pretty cool um and for those of us who are chronically single the 14th is always singles awareness day or really every day is singles awareness day so yeah i think 14th is fine it's kind of a counter holiday thing there um i'm not actually that depressed about it though i'm i'm happy with myself and don't need to stress about stress out about that it's really out of my control it's fine but yeah, 14th can be Singles Awareness Day as well. Uh, Joe, who describes himself as a full-time Canes fan but lives in Chicago, uh, maybe works for the Wolves. They are the uh, Hurricanes affiliate there. Uh, how many times has God, a.k.a. Adam Boquist, scored or had multi-point games? Uh, and I don't know if he's trying to stump me as a trivia question or if he's genuinely asking. Um, off the top of my head, I guessed four multi-point games. Uh, and as it turns out, I'm correct. Adam Boquist has had four multi-point games this season. Uh, he has 16 points total, uh, eight goals, eight assists. He had a three-point game against St. Louis. That was the loss after Thanksgiving. That was horrible. But he had two goals and an assist. He was the lone bright spot there. Uh, two goals against the Sharks, two assists against the Devils in January. Um, and then he had a goal and assist last week against Washington. Um, and that was really important because the Jackets were down 2 nothing in that game, and Boquist had an assist 
on Line's power play goal, and then Boquist got a goal of his own just after a power play. So he was a big, big part of that comeback. I don't know if I would call him a god necessarily. I still think he's had a good season considering that he is just 21 years old, playing a bigger role here than he had played in Chicago. Uh, I do feel like he's gone a bit cold. You know, he had had a really, really good December after he got back from his injury, but he has been scoreless in nine of the last 10 games, uh, with the exception being that two-point game in Washington. So that's a little disappointing. Uh, I should point out, though, that during that stretch, he has mostly been paired up with Vladislav Gavrikov. And since Gavrikov is the go-to shutdown guy, that means that Boquist has then been playing that shutdown role, um, which is you know not usually his type of game. But I think that in the long run, it's going to be good for him because it gives him that experience playing in that sort of role, and that will improve the defensive side of his game basically like by necessity. Um, I remember when Wierenski was in his second season, um, the Torts bumped him down to the third pair for a bit, and I think it was to do a similar thing, like, hey, let's work on this other side of your game for a bit. And it made Wierenski a better player overall. So uh, I'm not worried about Boquist. I think he's going to bounce back. I still have very high hopes for him on this team uh, because he is just such a skilled player. And again, only 21 years old, very young for a defenseman in this league. Um, again, not quite a god, but demigod, maybe? Yeah, that works. Next up from Maria DeVito, she, was, she is actually re-asking a question that she had asked but got in late for the last mailbag, which is, is it me or has Seeds been more positive about the team this season? You know what? I think that he maybe has been. Um, now, when she asked it before, he was definitely more optimistic when the team was doing really well. Uh, now that the team has gone through some struggles, you know, he's kind of fallen back into complaining about some of that. But I also think that the LA Rams have distracted him from the Blue Jackets. He's been able to focus on their Super Bowl run, um, which I think has been a good thing to take his mind off that. Uh, congratulations to to him for, for that victory. Um, but I also think why he has been more positive about the team this season is that he went in with such low expectations. Uh, I think he had the lowest expectations of any of us on staff, um, knowing that this is a rebuilding year. This is a development year. This year is not about wins and losses. So any win is really just gravy, um, so, which, and I think that is a, a healthy approach to this season. You know, if you kept low expectations, you wouldn't be disappointed and actually you'd be pleasantly surprised. So yeah, it, it's, uh, it's nice to see a different side of him. I think <laughs> Curtis D asks, who is the best player on the jackets? And after Vlad, who is the second best? <laughs> so obviously he believes that Gavrikov is the best player on the team. I wouldn't go that far. I will say Gavrikov has been solid for us. Again, he's just taken that Savard role of being the go-to shutdown defenseman. Uh, he had a great play against Montreal. They were in four-on-four. Four. He had a breakaway with Nyquist. Ended up not scoring off it, but then he you know, got hit into the boards, went to the ice. The puck was going back the other way. He got up, bolted down the ice. I've never seen him go so fast. Made a play on the other end to keep a goal from being scored. Fell down to the ice again. It was just an end-to-end play. Super impressive. I've been totally fine with the way he's been playing this season. As for who is the best player on the Jackets, that's honestly, that's a tough question to answer. 
if I'm going with my heart here, obviously I'm still saying Oliver Bjorkstrand. Uh, I still think he's the best all-round player on the team. Um, now he, some people have been kind of hard on him. They feel like he's been a little invisible lately, that his game's fallen off. Um, but if you look over what he's done here, he has never had a pointless streak of more than four games this season. So, you know, I feel like, like he's been a little bit streaky this year, but like that doesn't seem that streaky to me, to be honest. And over the last week, he's now riding a three game point streak. Uh, so that's, I feel like he's, he's coming back into it here and he is still third on the team at points. So if this is a down year for Bjorkstrand, I'll take it. Um, I still think he's just a really great player, contributes on both ends of the ice. I think he may have been held back a little bit this year because there's been so much line shuffling. And I think the coaches trust him to carry whatever line he's on. So they'll put struggling players with him so that he can get them going. But sometimes that ends up just dragging him down a little bit. But uh, I, again, not concerned there. I think he'll be fine. I think he's really good. Outsiders watching the team might say Zach Wierenski just because he's the big money guy, because he's been the reliable number one defenseman. Um, the fact that he's been able to continue producing despite not having Seth Jones for the first time in his career. Um, and he's playing 26 minutes a night, which is insane. I still think we could maybe dial that down a little bit, but uh, he's been effective and he's had a few different partners and he's played well with all of them. Uh, I really like him being paired with Andrew Peake. Um, their styles complement each other nicely, and Peak had a great game on Saturday as well. Matthew Yoder asks, who are the two guys most likely to go at the deadline, and what assets would you expect CBJ to ask for them? I think the obvious answer here is the two pending unrestricted free agents, Max Domi and Jonas Corposalo. I don't think either of these guys has a long-term future in Columbus. So I think it makes sense for the team to get what they can in return for those guys. Unfortunately, neither one has been playing well enough to get much in return. Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts last week said that Edmonton has asked about Corpusalo, but that what the Jackets were asking was a second-round and third-round pick. And that was too much for Edmonton at this point. Um, I hope that Yarmo brings the price down because I think that is way too much to ask for Corpusalo based on the way he's played for the last two years, really. Um, I think there's hope that some team will look at what he did in the bubble and think that they can recapture that. But whew, that's been so long ago at this point that, yeah, I would not give up two draft picks for him like that. I would settle for, you know, one fourth round pick at this point just to get something for him, but I'm not expecting much. Uh, Domi, I think you could get something better for Domi. Maybe late first round pick or a couple second round picks. He's been hot and cold this year. He's obviously been playing a smaller role, but, you know, he can still play center. A team might see him as a center. So uh, I could see him being a very intriguing piece for a team bound for the playoffs. Not someone to help you get to the playoffs maybe, but if you know you're going to be in the playoffs and think, 
I, I just need a little more skill on my third line. I need an energy guy, someone who can you know play a little physical in the postseason when you really need that. Uh, I think Domi could fill that role. And I think a team in that position would be willing to give up multiple picks like that for a guy like that. You know, Nick Felino earned us two draft picks, including a first rounder. And Domi is younger than Felino, a more proven scorer than Felino. Not the all around player that Felino was, but still, I, I think there's enough there to merit uh, making that kind of trade. Um, it will be interesting to see, yeah, how Yarmo adjusts his prices here. He seems to have been the kind of guy that he has a thought in mind for what a player is worth and doesn't budge from it. He waits for teams to, to meet him at what he thinks the value is. He's not going to move a player for less than that. But again, there are players that he might want to hang on to for sentimental reasons or because they have term or whatever that he can afford to be patient. But for these guys that are UFAs, there's really no benefit in holding on to them. Plus, you know, moving them gives you a chance to give other guys a shot in the lineup. Uh, so in the case of, of Domi, by moving him, you open up a spot for maybe a Kirill Marchenko or Kent Johnson once their seasons end and they can come join the Jackets. Uh, for Korpisal, if, you know, Daniil Tarasov gets healthy, then he can slot into that backup role. So I think it makes sense to move on from those guys uh, when we can. All right, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we have a lot of questions about the NHL's second star of the week, Patrick Line. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. We are back. I really hope the commercials weren't about gambling or crypto, even though I have a feeling they probably were. So as I said, we have a number of questions about Patrick Laine. Patrick Laine was named the second star of the week. He has been white hot. He's been better than red hot. He's been white hot, almost blue hot at this point. 12 points in the last six games. Uh, that is insane. It is so good to see Line A finally playing like that. Tom Burns asked, who is the biggest sartorial superstar in Ohio, Line A 
or Burrow. So this, uh, of course, refers to Joe Burrow, Cincinnati Bengals quarterback. Uh, again, sorry to all you Bengals fans out there. That was a, a tough loss, but uh, man, you can't help but love Joe Burrow. He's such a gutsy player, such a talented quarterback. And yeah, he's been wearing some interesting outfits to the game. Um, I I appreciate uh, the character there, I guess. Um, although it's funny, you know, he's wearing like a tiger striped suit to the game. And he's, he's walking into the stadium. It's like, oh, look, that's so that's such a bold choice. And like, look at the swagger there. Like, oh, yeah, this guy's coming to win, you know. But then after the game, he's, you know, he was lost. And then he's sitting there at the dais and he's wearing that same suit. And it's like, well, that just looks silly <laughs> after a loss. Looks like, you know, you're wearing that to a funeral or something. That's just, that's not right. Uh, it feels like he's wearing stuff that is weird for the sake of being weird. Whereas I feel like Line a has a bit more of a coherent style, which is still very weird. But also he's European, so I think he can get away with that because it's like, oh, well, maybe this is like the fashion over there that just hasn't come over here yet, you know? Um, but, I, you know, I, I like, uh, you know, he wears bold colors sometimes, but it's always in a way that matches. I love when he was like wearing a yellow knit cap and said that, you know, he bought a yellow Lamborghini to match the yellow hat. Uh, and I think the hat even matched the tint on his sunglasses too. So uh, I've really enjoyed seeing all the crazy stuff that Liney has, has worn. So I'm going to give him the edge here. I also appreciate that while most of the team was wearing Joe Burrow jerseys before the Montreal game, that's line A instead went with an homage shirt that just said who day. And it was kind of in a eighties style font. And that again, felt very on brand with the sort of eighties throwback style that, that line A prefers. So Enrico Palazzo asks more likely to trade line A or give him the big bucks. Also, what would a trade and a contract look like in a realistic world? And piggybacking on that, Justin Needham asked, do you give line A the Panarin deal? Well, I can answer that one right away. Uh, no, <laughs> you do not give Line A the Panarin deal. Patrick Line A is a good player. I think he could be an important player for us. He is not a Panarin type player. Panarin is a tremendous all round forward. He is one of the, certainly one of the 10 best players in the league, if not the five best players in the league. Panarin is tremendous. Absolutely worth the, what, 13 million? a year that we offered him line a is not going to come anywhere close to that. Uh, I could see line a asking for around $9 million. That feels a little steep to me. He is making seven and a half this year, which I feel like that's a fair number. I could even go up to eight, eight and a half. And I don't know that I would go the full eight years on that. I would maybe go five or six. And that would allow him to cash in on another long-term deal before he turns 30. But at the same time, it would give the Jackets enough security that he's going to be around by the time this team gets good again, which should only be in another maybe two or three years. And I do think that a extension is going to be on the table. 
uh, Yarmo Kekalainen has actually said it publicly that he wants to extend line. He wants to sign him long-term. And it feels a little odd to be putting those cards on the table right away, but I think it's genuine. Obviously, we paid a high price to get Line A here. Um, and to lose him after two seasons would be disappointing. And I doubt that we'd be able to get a player in return like we gave up in Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I, I think Yarmo genuinely likes Line A as a person, as a player. And if you know he can keep playing the way he's been playing, not necessarily at a two points per game pace, but certainly at a point per game pace. I mean, he is, yeah, he has scored 27 points in 27 games this season. You know, that's an 82 point pace over a full season. That's great. Like who wouldn't want that? Again, that is like numbers like Panarin put up in Columbus. So maybe is he is closer to Panarin than I thought. You know, really, he played really well at the start of the season. Then he got hurt. And while he was hurt, his father passed away. And he struggled a bit in the weeks after he came back. And I don't know how much of that was, you know, lingering pain from his injury. But, you know, when you get the middle of the body injured like that, you know, you feel it when moving other parts of your body, you know, because everything goes through the core. So maybe it was that. Or maybe it was just rust from being off the ice for so long. Um, Or who knows how much of it may have been mental. You know, when you lose a family member like that, especially with a a sudden passing, um, and for it to have happened, you know, with him being in another country, uh, it's got to be so hard. And right before the holidays and everything, like there's just a lot going on there. Um, And so maybe it just took him some time to clear his head. But whatever the factors were, he has gotten through it. And he's looking a lot more comfortable. His shot is finally going in. Uh, He was just not shooting well before. He was tentative about shooting. Now he's just willing to put the puck on net and it's going in. And he is shooting absolute lasers. And he'd gone all this time, too, without scoring on the power play, which is ridiculous. And the power play, even when the power play was going well in October, he was on it, but he wasn't the one scoring the goals. But now he finally is. He got his first two power play goals, both in the game against Washington. That was huge. Uh, he had a power play goal on Saturday in Montreal with seven seconds left to win the game. That was the latest the Jackets have had a go-ahead goal in a game in franchise history. Incredible. Uh, so I hope he keeps it up. This trade block, though, yeah, I don't think he's going to be traded by the deadline. Uh, I never thought that was going to be the case just because of his contract situation that he's still a restricted free agent this summer. It made sense to get through an entire season and then reassess. No need to move him now at the deadline. There's no rush there. Now, is he untouchable? No, absolutely not. Uh, I'm not sure any veteran on the team is untouchable, except maybe Wierenski. Maybe Bjorkstrand. Probably really only Wierenski. So I'm sure Yarmo would listen to offers on line A. But again, I talked about him setting a price. I would have to think that the price for line A would be set very, very high. Um, Think about what we paid to New York for Marion Gabrick. That was two young NHL players that were recent first-round picks in Derek Broussard and John Moore, a depth player in Derek Dorsett, 
and then I believe we had a another draft pick in there or something. So that's what I think we'd be looking for for line eight, like a four piece deal, including current players, prospects, draft picks, and some combination. Definitely include a first round draft pick in there, maybe multiples, um, especially if line eight keeps playing the way that he's playing. Uh, the price is just going to keep going up and up. Um, you know, we're certainly at the point where we're not a playoff team. So any player that can't help us long-term or does not seem to be part of our long-term core should be available in a trade. But Line A, because he's still just 23 years old, uh, turning 24 in April, that's a guy that can be part of our long-term core because he is still going to be an effective player for that long. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, was he going to find his shot again? And based on recent results, I think he has found a shot again. Um, but I do want to see over the last half of the season, we still have, you know, over 30 games left. Can he keep that pace up to some degree? Um, can he avoid going through another long, cold stretch? Um, can he become better away from the puck? Because, you know, if he is not scoring, if he's not shooting, is he able to contribute in other ways? You know, I hope he can. Or maybe maybe he just can just keep shooting, keep scoring. That's cool, too. Uh, he's got 13 goals through 27 games. Uh, I think he'll easily eclipse 20 goals this season. Shoot, I wouldn't put it past him to score 30 yet at this point. If he can keep up this closer to this pace, I think that is very much in the cards. Thank you, everyone, for the questions. Uh, again, if you are not following us on Twitter yet, we are at CBJ Cannon. So follow us, and in the future, I'll ask again for questions, and you can get yours in then. Uh, this week, the Jackets continue their five-game road trip. We are in Calgary Tuesday night, 9 o'clock game. On Thursday, they're in Chicago. Both of those are COVID makeup games. Uh, and then on Saturday, back home against the Buffalo Sabres. Now, the Calgary Flames are a very hot team. The Jackets have the longest active win streak in the East, and the Flames have the longest active win streak in the Western Conference. The Flames also made a big trade. They just picked up Tyler Toffoli from Montreal, who we had just faced over the weekend. Uh, big deal for the Flames. Uh, adds another depth forward with some scoring skill. They're, they're a really strong team. They play a style of hockey that is very similar to what we saw here under Torts. Very defensively focused, but high possession. They've got guys that can score, like Johnny Goudreau, who is a player I've always been really fond of. That's going to be a, a very tough challenge. Certainly a more difficult matchup than Buffalo or Montreal. Uh, Chicago, they beat us in Columbus uh, back in January. That was super disappointing. That was a bad effort that night. I think the Jacks can do better. I would love to see them do better. Uh, see what they learn from that first matchup. And they'll get a chance to play Seth Jones. It'll be interesting if there's any uh, emotions that come from that. But, man, if we could uh, win at least one of those games and make it a 4-1 and one road trip, that would be a massive, massive success. Hey, even just winning against Washington, uh, like we discussed last week. That was a surprise. That's a big win for us. Uh, we're back above 500 now. <laughs> which, uh, did you think we'd see that in mid-February? Uh, I certainly didn't. Uh, and I had a pretty optimistic view for the team, not playoffs, but like 
yeah, Hockey 500 is a little bit better than what I thought, but uh, I love it. Um, and I'm not worried about draft position or anything like that. Like, I want to see this team grow. I want to see individuals find themselves who need to be finding themselves, like Line A. Uh, so I feel like this team is making progress. I think they're learning how to play together. They are working on their individual skills, the things that they need to work on. Uh, as I said, uh, they're guys that are going to be coming later this season. Uh, both Marchenko and Johnson are over in the Olympics right now. Uh, Kent Johnson, oh man, <laughs> I'm excited about him. He uh, got an assist against China that was an amazing skilled play. Every highlight I watch of him, he's just skating through defenders like they're nothing, doing amazing things with the stick and the puck. Uh, I, It's hard to think of a guy that we've had that has been just that skilled with the puck. And I think he could be a guy that would be an instant impact player. He's a big guy. He's like six foot three, uh, not a lot of weight on him. So hopefully over the next couple of years, he can bulk up with, you know, professional strength coaches and dietitians and things like that. Um, so he can maybe win some battles, but man, that skill. And even if he just plays wing rather than center, I think he could be the kind of dynamic winger that will make his center better. The kind of winger that can be a playmaker from the wing. Uh, just because, you know, we have not had a guy with that much skill. Um, Scott Wheeler at The Athletic uh, ranked the prospect pools for all the NHL teams. The Jackets jumped from 27th to 6th. He listed Kent Johnson as the number one prospect in the Jackets system. He also appeared on the Front and Nationwide podcast with Aaron Porchline. I highly recommend listening to that. He went into more detail on the top Jackets prospects, and he was effusive in his praise of Kent Johnson. Uh, he talked about all the things that are going to make him a special player. Um, two weeks ago when I spoke to Jack Hahn, after we were done recording, he said that he would be happy to come back on the podcast next year to talk about Kent Johnson uh, because he has worked with Johnson. He said that Johnson subscribes to his newsletter, and he described Johnson as a hockey nerd. Uh, and that made me really excited because it's one thing to be just like a naturally skilled player but to combine those physical skills with a mental curiosity and a work ethic, that's really exciting because that shows him that he's a guy that really loves hockey and is really going to work at it. A guy that wants to learn more about hockey, uh, that can maybe expand his skill set by watching what other players are doing and trying to adapt his game to those other things. Uh, Man, that's just, I'm just really excited about him. My heart is just overwhelmed. My head is trying to tell me to curb my enthusiasm here and be like, oh, hey, you know, he might not be that great. He might just be good or, you know, might not pan out. You never know, right? Um, but the odds are good that he will be quite a good player for us and hopefully for a long time. So that's something to look for here in a few months' time. That'll do it for us this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. For more content from the Canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow the Canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJ Canon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Perley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to angelaperley.com for more music and show dates.